the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. We are back in action. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we're rolling on this Monday, the 21st morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord 2021. I want to offer a happy belated Father's Day to every dad out there, and I really mean the dad part. I won't get all Hallmark Hardy on you here, but you know there's a difference between a father and a dad. Any idiot can become a father simply by by, uh, having uh, procreative sex. Uh, it takes somebody special to be a dad. Happy Dad's Day to everybody who has been a, fi- a, a fixture in their child's life to the extent that they are possibly even able to. So happy uh, Father's Day to you. Happy Dad's Day to you. And congratulations on your success in turning out fine young children for the next generation. All right, that's where we'll start. Uh, and I got a lot to do today. We're going to come up uh, at about 6.48 with uh, Congressman Jim Jordan. He's going to talk to us about a number of things, including something that is long overdue as we continue to fight against the uh, oppression of speech, not the oppression of people, but the, uh, the suppression, I guess is probably a better way to say that then, the suppression of speech, the censorship of speech on campuses nationwide. Jim Jordan uh, is actually teaming up with a conservative youth organization the, to uh, form the Campus Free Speech Caucus. The Young America's Foundation, which is a great organization, my daughter belongs to it at Hillsdale College, uh, is teaming up uh, with Jim Jordan. And again, they're forming what is called the Campus Free Speech Caucus to promote free speech on college campuses and to restore the voice of those whose voices are routinely canceled and silenced, censored, suppressed, because they happen to have a certain uh, political ideology that doesn't fly well on most college campuses, which, of course, are overwhelmingly dominated by progressive um, uh, you know, Democrats. So Jim Jordan will join us to talk about that and a whole lot more. Then at 1010, Ken Blackwell is going to join us, the former... Um, 
Secretary of State in Ohio and the former uh, candidate for governor, Republican candidate for governor, who was terrific, by the way, when he ran. I was happy to vote for him. I was still, I'm still angry that he did not win. Uh, but anyway, Ken Blackwell is going to join us to talk about um, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which, quite frankly, could be worse than H.R. 1 itself. We're going to talk about the voting rights uh, uh, overhaul that the Democrats have envisioned. They started out with H.R. 1, as you know. They wanted to essentially uh, federalize all elections so that the individual states didn't have any control over how their elections were run, how votes were cast, how long votes had to be cast, uh, how they were counted, et cetera, et cetera. They wanted to federalize everything so that they could kind of, you know, normalize cheating, quite frankly, the way things were done in certain states strategically on, uh, uh, on November 3rd. Uh, and it looks like Joe Manchin is going to be the guy that's in the way of that, although we have to talk to uh, Jim Jordan and Ken Blackwell about Manchin's sudden little, well, maybe we can compromise kind of a talk. But at any rate, if H.R. 1 dies, you better not just start celebrating just yet. The John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, or H.R. 4, could be even more dangerous to our democracy. And when I say our democracy, that means our system of voting Obviously, we as a nation are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. But the John Lewis Advancement Act is even worse, says uh, 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 PILF uh, President J. Christian Adams. PILF is the Public Interest Legal Foundation. He said it would put Washington bureaucrats in total control of our elections. Partisan Department of Justice bureaucrats will have complete power to veto all election changes from voter ID requirements to polling places to hours. States must continue to run their own elections, said Adams. Power should be kept with the people not in the swamp in D.C. So there you have it. We're going to talk to Ken Blackwell about that in depth at 1010 this morning. Right now, before we get to the news of the day, it's only appropriate that we pause for the pledge. This is the way we start our program each and every day. If you are a patriot with a flag nearby, please face it. If you are not, or in other words, if you do not have the flag part anyway, just put your hand over your heart and join us. Democrats, liberals, progressives, radicals, Marxists, take your knee. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I want to start this morning with um, an end to the rule of law, a celebration of lawbreakers. That's where we'll start today. I want to go to Oregon. This story is actually from... uh, uh, from last week, but it's 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 mind-boggling and it needs to be discussed. This first was proposed in the state of Oregon back in February. Now, Oregon, we know, has become more than just radical. Uh, Oregon is a very, very dangerous place to be right now. Progressive radicals, Marxists, I mean, they have run the police out of town. They have run, uh, in Portland, for example, the entire... A violent crime unit was forced to uh, to uh, resign their posts. They still are police officers, but they have essentially disbanded that particular unit because they cannot get any support whatsoever from government. Uh, and what they do get is, you know, more and more defunding from, uh, you know, funds from the police department because uh, they don't believe in policing in, in radical leftist uh, jurisdictions. 
So anyway, we're going to what is about to to take place here uh, to Oregon, which is a decriminalization of all drugs. Decriminalization of all drugs going into effect in Oregon. And again, this started, this was proposed really in February. Addicts in the state of Oregon uh, are being offered rehab instead of prison. Now, let me quote a little bit from the story in USA Today. For Janie Gullickson, rock bottom came both slowly and all at once. A longtime drug and alcohol addict, she pushed back on the idea that one terrible day on the streets leads to an epiphany and climb back to normalcy. That's what happens in movies, but not real life. I lived at the bottom for years, she said. She's 52. For me and people like me, I laid there and wallowed in it for a long time. But she has to pick the lowest point. If she has to pick the lowest point, rather, one that lasted years, not days, she said it came after she hit 30 in uh, 1998. She had five kids, ages 5 to 11, by four different guys. She came home from work one day as a locksmith to find that her ex-husband had taken her two youngest children and left the state. Horrified, devastated, and convinced this was the beginning of the end of her life, her life spiraled. She dropped off her other son with his dad, left her two daughters with her mom, and soon became an IV meth user. In prison, six years later, she was contemplating joining an intensive recovery program when a striking, magnetic, gorgeous black woman walked into the room, held up a mugshot, and started talking about being in the very chairs where she was sitting. There was life on the other side of addiction in prison, she said, but you have to fight for it, and she believed her. Now this woman, Gullickson, is the director of the Mental Health and Addiction Association of Oregon and is determined to give other addicts the same opportunity. That's why she pushed for the measure or the passage of measure 110, which decriminalized the possession of all illegal drugs in Oregon, not just the low level uh, drugs like marijuana, but heroin, cocaine, methamphetamines, oxycodone, fentanyl, all of it. Instead of a criminal justice based approach, the state now is uh, using a health ba- health care based approach offering addicts treatment instead of prison time. Those in possession of any of the drugs will be fined $100. $100. That's it. And that citation is waived if they agree to a health assessment. That health assessment, uh, conducted by the Oregon Health Authority, they say will be the pivot point to to a life changed for thousands of Oregonians. One of the things people misunderstand is how criminalization creates barriers to treatment, said Cassandra Federique, executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance. If we want people to make different choices, we have to give them more options. Ending criminalization will do leaps and bounds around ending shame, which automatically opens people up for other opportunities. Nationally, others are hopeful this could be the first in a wave of progressive measures that would undo damage, years of damage, caused by drug criminalization, which disproportionately imprisoned people of color across the U.S. And there it is. There's the money line. That's what this is all about. It is about the demographics of the prison population which represent the demographics of the drug users and dealers in the general population of this country. They are willing to kill people. And I'm going to say that very loudly and very clearly because that's what we're talking about here. 
They are willing to kill people in order to continue to advance the social justice slash race racial justice um, cause that they are all backing. That's what this is about. And what do I mean when I say they will they are willing to kill people? I mean it very directly and very simply. Decriminalizing drugs in this entire state is going to do nothing but turn on a high-powered magnet in that state that is going to just attract and draw what? Not just drug users, but what? Drug dealers, drug suppliers, drug cartels, gang members, all of whom traffic in drugs, and the most important thing to these people other than the possession of their drugs, is what? Buyers, users, drug addicts. Oregon is willing to invite countless, I mean, the number is literally limitless, numbers of drug pushers, dealers, cartels, and so on and so forth to their state. Because people who may be, prior to the decriminalization of each and every one of those drugs, if they were drug curious but didn't want to get busted, they kept them away from from somebody offering them something and them, them sticking their hand out because they never know if they're being set up. They never know if this is an undercover cop. And they don't want to be busted and go to jail. Now that fear is gone. Now if somebody offers me uh, you know, uh, an eight ball of cocaine... And I live in 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 uh, Oregon. I can say okay, because if this guy's an undercover cop, which is not likely since they're decriminalizing, but this is you know the way it used to be, they would say no because they're terrified. But now it's okay. What do I do? What happens if I get caught? A um, hundred dollar fine, and I don't even don't even have to pay the hundred bucks if I agree to undergo a health assessment. Not even agree to rehab, just an assessment. So this is a 10-year plan, apparently, according to authorities in Oregon, in which they are going to release more d- drugs on the streets and in the cities and in the towns of that state than they have ever seen before. They're going to decriminalize the usage and the possession of those drugs. And they expect this to make their their uh, their community safer. We should point out the obvious, by the way. When people who had never tried drugs before do try drugs because there are no threats of incarceration, there are no threats of punitive uh, damage being done to them, and they become addicted as these high-level narcotics obviously are intended to do. Do we? Do we? Do we know? Of course, we know, right? We know what the the rest of the the way the way the rest of this play works out. The last act of the play is. I'm addicted to my meth, or I'm addicted to my heroin, or I'm addicted to my opioids, or my oxy, or my whatevers, and I'm out of money. I'm out of money, but I'm still jonesing for my next fix. What do people do? What do people do? What has been proven over the course of our human existence when it comes to these things? Well, they got to find the money somewhere. They'll start selling their property. They start selling things that they have a value. And when they run out of things to sell, what do they do then? Then they start stealing. 
then the crime rate rises. So let's put all of this ridiculous progressivism into one soup, into one big pot of soup. We're going to get the population addicted to drugs by telling them there is no longer a fear of going to jail for using drugs. We're going to make them addicted. Then they're going to need more money to buy from the violent dealers that are going to be drawn to this new population of buyers by coming to the state state of Oregon. We're going to watch the crime rate rise as these addicts, these new addicts, lose their jobs because they're high all the time and they don't have any money to buy their next fix. So they're going to steal it. They're going to steal it either with home invasion or with robberies or with muggings or whatever. And they're going to get away with that, too, because we have defunded the police in the state of Oregon. We have defunded the the police to the level that we don't even have a violent crime response unit anymore. We have gone, if the progressives get their way, and they are in this state... We have just gone full stupid. We have just decided we're going to scrap law. We're going to scrap punishment. We're going to allow drug use. We're going to allow the violence that comes along with it, with it because we got rid of our police. And then we're going to see what happens. I mean, this is a chemistry lab, and they have just poured acids and bases into the same beaker. Anybody remember chemistry? What happens when you mix acids and bases in the same beaker? Anybody know? Yeah, watch Oregon and you will see what an explosion like that looks like. We're celebrating crime now. And if you think that's an overstatement, wait until you hear part B of this opening monologue right after this on AM 1420 The Answer. Driving that train, I'm cocaine. Okay, part B of this salute and this embrace of illegality and of crime that just kind of proves that progressives are in charge. In the state of Oregon, as I said, decriminalizing all drugs, uh, it is going to lead to devastation of the normal uh, members of that community. Simply devastation. Now, let's give you part B of this story. You may recall back in la 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 May, so it was just last uh, last month, then, I guess. Uh, yeah, because it was on the day that George Floyd, uh, the anniversary of the George Floyd death uh, in uh, in Minnesota. And I posted a picture of a bunch of the protesters carrying pictures of George Floyd, holding them up high for everyone to see in honor of this great man, as they story go, as their story goes. And I wrote on, on this picture, prediction, by this date next year, Democrats will have proposed May 25th as a new national holiday in honor of a career criminal. George Floyd Day. You heard it here first. This is what I wrote. Well, it's not a national holiday yet, but the honors are underway. I want you to listen to MSNBC. 
But I'm just going to interrupt you for a second. We've got a piece of breaking news that I think you will uh, enjoy being a part of. In the bottom right uh, corner of the screen, let's bring that all the way up so our viewers can see it. A brand new statue, memorial statue, uh, honoring George Floyd. A George Floyd memorial statue has been unveiled in Brooklyn, New York. You're looking at that right now. Uh, we're going to, hopefully that camera, that we don't, uh, we're not controlling the camera. There you go. You, it pulls out a little bit. You can see this big statue of George Floyd. Um, relevant to the conversation we are having, uh, Representative Clyburn, the idea that uh, these are becoming the statues. You remember a few years ago, we were having conversations about Confederate statues all over this country. Uh, we didn't know George Floyd then. We didn't know George Floyd was going to become a common name in America. We didn't know that we would be erecting statues to him. But in fact, when it comes to the development uh, and the advancement of civil rights in this country, George Floyd now becomes a part of that history. So on MSNBC, they're celebrating the unveiling of a statue that has been erected in honor of a man who lived his entire adult life as a criminal. A man who was in and out of jail at least five different times, often for very violent crimes, including home invasions, including putting a gun against the belly of a pregnant woman while his friends ransacked her house and robbed it of everything that was there. George Floyd is being honored with a statue. Now, it's not quite the holiday yet, but it's on the way. This is a step on the path. And this is what I'm talking about when I say we as a country led by progressives are literally, not figuratively, but literally normalizing crime, normalizing bad behavior, excusing bad behavior, if not outright celebrating bad behavior. The celebration of George Floyd's life a life, again, devoted to victimizing other people is one of the most disgusting things that I think I can ever imagine. They're celebrating joy. It's one thing to have a trial and convict Derek Chauvin if that's what the jury believed. I personally do not because the evidence was overwhelming that he died of a drug overdose and that if he had never met Derek Chauvin, George Floyd was going to die with all of that in his system very, very quickly. That's why he was freaking out and hyperventilating. But whatever. The trial was held. If you want to convict Derek Chauvin, that's one thing. To turn George Floyd into St. George is something altogether different. I'm not finished with this quite yet, but I will welcome your phone calls on the other side of the news. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Right after this. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. 937, you know, I have no problem honoring people for great things that they have done. This is what statue erection is generally reserved for, right? In the 
Maybe it's a president. Maybe it's a great philanthropist. Maybe it's a civil rights leader. Maybe it's a great educator. Maybe it is somebody who has, you know, fought for uh, victims everywhere, you know, throughout their entire lives. That's what, you know, uh, the, the kind of thing we reserve honors like statues for, right? Great leaders of the past, uh, great contributors to American society and so forth. George Lloyd has statues being built of him. This one I was just describing that I played for you from uh, MSNBC is in Brooklyn. Now, he was killed in, or he died, rather, in Minneapolis. What does Brooklyn have to do with that? Nothing. But what it does have to do uh, with this is the advancement of racial division in this country. George Floyd is a polarizing figure because George Floyd is no hero. George Floyd is a drug was a drug addict and a career criminal who died under less than perfect circumstances but rather than acknowledging those circumstances they're trying to turn him into some sort of a saint he is not a saint you just heard them talk about George Floyd this great man having a memorial statue honoring him honoring him being erected and unveiled yesterday in Brooklyn or actually, I think they did this on Saturday in Brooklyn. They did it on what is now the holiday known as Juneteenth. And I thought it would be appropriate at this point in time to remind you just a little bit about the man that they are honoring. A little bit about the man that they think deserves a statue in his name for tourists to gawk at, for children to look up in and say, wow, what did he do? What did he do for the country? What did he do? Who is this great man? And anybody who is within earshot of that child asking years from now about this statue of this great man in Brooklyn, they'll have to say, well, what he did is he died. What does that mean? Well, it means he died, so he, he's great. Well, why was he great? Because he died. Well, it just, it just it, the way he died made, made him great. Well, what about how he lived? Well, let's look at that for just a moment. What I find despicable to be is that everyone is pretending that this man lived a heroic lifestyle when he didn't. And I want to talk about what his lifestyle was um, leading up to this moment and why I refuse to accept the narrative that this person is is a martyr or, or should be lifted up in the black community and that we should be buying T-shirts uh, with his name on it. OK, so here we have first and foremost, let's start from the bottom of his record. And by the way, I am not saying that if you have a record, you don't deserve a second chance. I think people get arrested um, and some people can serve time in prison and I believe in second chances but I do draw the line when it comes to uh, second third fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth and ninth ch- and ninth chances 1998 he spent uh, 10 months in prison for theft with a firearm uh, that was the first prison stint that I could find on him in 2002 he spent eight months in prison for a cocaine offense in 2004 just two years later he spent another 10 months in prison for a cocaine offense in 2005 he spent another 10 months in prison for having um, less than one gram of cocaine on him again um, in 2007 and this was the biggest instant um, uh, that I had that made me realize this was a horrible human being that I would I, I am not going to pretend was a good person in 2005 a woman who was pregnant uh, received a knock at the door um, and she went to the door and the person pretended to be someone that worked um, for the water department so she opened her door and quickly realized that the person at her door did not work for the water department and attempted to slam it um, at
at the moment that she was attempting to slam it, a Ford pulled up and another five men jumped out of the car, and one of which was George Floyd, came up to the door and they forced their way inside to her home, uh, inside of her home. Um, mind you, this woman is pregnant. At that point, uh, George Floyd took out a gun and pressed it to her stomach. Um, as she was screaming, begging for her life, and, uh, and he put her inside of her living room and instructed one of his criminal friends that was with him uh, to watch her and to make sure she didn't leave the living room. So he was playing guard while they ransacked her home looking for drugs and money. They did not find um, drugs. They ended up taking, I believe, her wallet and her cell phone. Fortunately for her, her neighbor um, observed what was going on and caught the license plate of the people as they pulled off and called 911. And when 911 was able to, um, they were able to track down the car uh, of which uh, George Floyd was the driver, um, and they arrested him. And two years later, he was sentenced to five years in prison um, for that instance. Um, now, you can say uh, the media is portraying it like he was just getting his life together after you know being released in 2014 following that incident. Uh, he was just getting his life together and, and moved and was going to start afresh. I'd like to believe all of those things, and there's a gap, and he never got in trouble for five years until this incident when the police were called on him again. Um, uh, but you are defying common sense to believe that this person suddenly became an exemplary character but happened to be high on fentanyl and methamphetamine um, and, and trying to use a bill, um, uh, a fake bill, to purchase something. And so, in my opinion, uh, George Floyd was a criminal. <laughs> he was a criminal. And just because he was a criminal doesn't mean he deserved to die at the knee of a police officer. But it does mean that I am not going to play a part of the broken black culture that always wants to martyr criminals, who wants to pretend they were these upstanding human beings that just wanted to help society, uh, that just wanted to reach out um, and, and uplift society. And we're, he has a rap sheet that is long, that is dangerous. He was an example of a violent criminal his entire life. That, of course, was the voice of Candace Owens, who did that impassioned uh, critique of the decision to honor George Floyd in any way, shape, or form. You know, and what she had to say was spot on. There, there's, there's just no denying it. What Candace Owens said about his record is absolutely correct. And it, for people to use his face as the face of the black movement is just so incredibly disingenuous and so ridiculous, to be quite honest. It's ridiculous. Because he's not a proud black man. He was not a proud black leader, a civil rights leader. He was not uh, somebody who was advancing the cause of justice. He was a cokehead and violent criminal who continued to use drugs right up until his dying day. And in fact, those those it was those drugs uh, that contributed in a major way to his death. And now he's not only being given, you know, uh, 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 the honor of, of, of being the face of the black movement. They're literally building statues of him as if he did something positive. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, said a few weeks ago, do you remember, remember this? She thanked George Floyd on the day, the anniversary of his death, I believe it was, which was May 25th. She thanked him for being willing to sacrifice his life. For the greater good of, of, of you know, uh, diversity in America. He didn't sacrifice anything. He got high as you can be on methamphetamine and fentanyl. He was with his buddy, who was a counterfeiter, who tried to deal a, a pass a, a counterfeit bill. 
couldn't get it done, so he gave it to George Floyd and told him to go in and see if he could get it done and move it someplace else. That's when somebody called the police on him. And then, of course, we saw what happened after that. That's not a hero. That's not somebody to look up to. Why do we have... Why do we even have... Well, I'm going to pause there because I, I, I was about to go down a rabbit hole. Uh, I'm going to stop there because I do have music playing and uh, Jim Jordan on the other side. We'll talk to Congressman Jordan about a couple of very important things. We're going to talk to Ken Blackwell at the top of the hour about a couple of other very important things, including voting rights. Uh, that'll be coming up. But I do want to hear from you, too. And I want your thoughts on this. This sudden embrace of crime and criminals that our left-leaning, you know, our progressive leaders, rather, uh, has uh, has put in vogue. 216-901-0945. We'll be right back with Jim Jordan. Bob France, authority, here on AM 1420, The Answer. 9.49 now, let's dive right in. We're a minute late to getting to Jim Jordan. That's not fair. Uh, that's not fair at all. The more we get a chance to listen to Ohio's fourth congressional representative, as well as the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, the better we are. Congressman, good morning, sir. Happy belated Father's Day. How are you? I'm doing fine, Bob. Hope you had a good Father's Day weekend as well. Did indeed. Really did indeed. Thank you. Um, I was on campus yesterday, as a matter of fact. I delivered my son to Ball State University, and I want to use, oh. I I uh, use that as my segue to the Campus Free Speech Caucus. This, uh, I didn't see this announcement until after we spoke last week, so tell me about your partnership here with Young America's Foundation and uh, cre- the creation of the Campus Free Speech Caucus. Yeah, well, I mean, look, as we've talked about before, every single liberty we've enjoy, uh, we enjoy as Americans under the First Amendment has been attacked. No place worse than what's happening on, on college campuses, particularly your right to speak freely and, and exercise your free speech uh, liberties on college campuses. So Kat Kamek, a new freshman member from uh, Florida, and I, working with YF, are uh, putting together this, this, this caucus. And the idea is just to draw more attention to, to this very dangerous a trend we're seeing where some speech is allowed if it agree if if it's if it's in, you know in agreement with the uh, the woke mob, and conservative speech typically isn't, and that's just not the way it's supposed to be in our great country. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, I, I tell people all the time through the years on this show, be very, very careful about the universities you choose for your kids. And it's really not even that, because we've talked about really, th- you know, K through 12 uh, indoctrination and the silencing of any dissent. We have teachers who would just won't let kids who disagree with the orthodoxy yeah. or the narrative that they're trying to, to advance here. They will, you know, they will shame them into staying silent. And that's, uh, it's so important for somebody to have their backs. Yeah. But I think maybe I've shared this story before, but this, this was a few years ago. We were having a hearing on this subject, you know, the threats to First Amendment liberties on, on college campuses. And I asked a professor during the course of the hearing, I asked the professor, I said, Professor, on a college campus, uh, can a safe space and a free speech zone be at the same location? And some of the audience kind of chuckled because they got the joke, and, and he did too. And then I asked him a, a more fundamental question. This, is, this was a few years ago. I said, uh, in a, in a, on a college campus in a safe space, can uh, could I say this sentence? Donald Trump is president, and literally his response began with, "Well, Congressman, it depends." And it's like, and I interrupted him. I said, "There's no it depends about it. It's a fact. He was president. You know, he is president. He lives in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He was elected by the American people. So some places where where it's quote a safe space on campus, you can't even state facts and state the truth. So that is when it get, is getting really scary. And that's again why we have, we have put this caucus together." Um, 
hang on a second here, Congressman. I'm I'm scanning the First Amendment for the words "it depends." Uh, and, uh, <laughs> no, I, I checked it all. I don't see it depends anywhere in that uh, in that amendment. <laughs> I think it's pretty doggone it, clear the way it's supposed to be. It sure is, Congressman. Sure uh, is. Speaking of hearings, yet yeah, last week you called for uh, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee to hold hearings on defunding the police. Now, obviously, you don't want to actually hold hearings because you want to defund the police. What is your motive? Well, we, we think there's a strong link out there. Every major city now, Bob, you're seeing an increase in crime, violent crime, murders. I mean, it's, and, and, you know, um, call me crazy, but maybe there's a correlation between when big city mayors run by, or big cities run by Democrat mayors and Democrat councils, defund the police, limit the police. Maybe there's a correlation with that, that fact and the fact that, you know, you're seeing crime go up. So we, we'd like to have a hearing on this and further draw attention to just how dangerous this policy initiative by the Democrats is for American people. You know, I mean, you you talk about crime going up all across the country. In some places, it's 50% higher. Some places, it's double. Some places, like Portland, 800% increase in violent crime. Yep. And you've got, yep. as you say, police being defunded. And you also have police not being back to the point where their violent crime unit in Portland, literally all of them resigned their positions uh, yep. on that right. post. They've, you know, they'll continue to work patrol or whatever it is, but they have, they have walked away from, you know, these positions. Because if you don't have the support of leadership, in your city or town or wherever if you don't have the support of the community as well because everybody thinks that you are the bad guys and that's the message that the progressive left and the media which is redundant uh, that's the the message they've sent to the people then how can we possibly protect our communities how can they do it no no you're 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 exactly right and i saw that in portland i mean uh, just think about in portland it's been 400 days straight now 400 days where the city is basically under siege, certainly the federal court building, they've been attacking all the time. Uh, they, they tried to actually kill a journalist, Andy No, uh, a few weeks ago. So this is here. And, and, and the policies from the left are, frankly, are, are encouraging the cop to stay in the car instead of get out and do the job that he wants to do to protect his, his community. It, it, is, it is really it is, it's frightening, frankly. And again, this underscores why we think there should be hearings to to show the American people how dangerous this whole trend is. I, I've been in politics a long time, as you know, Bob, and I've seen a lot of stupid ideas, but I've never seen anything as dumb as this idea that we're going to defund the police. And remember, it was just it was about seven weeks ago when Congresswoman Tlaib um, uh, said that we should we should get rid of police, not just defund them, get yeah. rid of police. And I'm like, what well, what are you talking? About? So this is craziness. And we need to uh, we need to point it out. They want to abolish police, and they want to get rid of prisons, too. They just don't think they, they should exist. And by the way, in Oregon, where they're uh, doing what they're doing to police, this coincides with what they have, they have started this year, which is the decriminalization of all drugs, including the heaviest and hardest drugs that kill and take so many lives and destroy so many yeah. lives. Talking about heroin, talking about opioids, talking about fentanyl and so forth. They've decriminalized all of those things, uh, and they then they have defunded the police. Now let's add those two things together. We have a magnet that's going to bring drug runners, drug cartels, uh, you know, dealers of all kinds, gang members to your state where you have a whole population of new drug users ready to try them because they know they can't get in trouble for it, and then you don't have cops there. Gee, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, I just, I just no, it's, left. It's, it's, it's craziness, just complete craziness.
Let's uh, let's move on. Uh, I want to talk about voting rights. First of all, you know, with the For the People Act, you know, Joe Manchin made an announcement, wrote a big op-ed about a week and a half, two two weeks ago, saying, "I am not for this. We're not going to do this. States have to have the rights, and so on." Now it looks like maybe, kind of, sort of, he's open to uh, some negotiation on it to maybe negotiate a weaker version of the For the People Act, but it would still federalize elections largely. What is your feeling on this, Congressman Jordan? Well, I mean, you, you, it's bad even if it does get watered down a little bit because uh, this, is, as you point out, is, is more federal control of the election process. I think it would just uh, exacerbate the concerns we saw in the last election. Uh, plus, remember, one of the key elements, this is uh, your, your, your listeners' tax dollars are going to pay for this. The, the taxpayers pay for the campaigns of, of, of uh, elected officials. Just what you want. The people who are ripping you off now, now you've got to pay for them to get reelected and and. More so than just that, you pay for their staff, you pay for the health care for their staff. It's really ridiculous. You know, I don't think many of the folks I would get the privilege of representing want to pay for the reelection of Nancy Pelosi and, and Chuck Schumer. And there's some people I represent who, frankly, don't want to pay for the reelection of Jim Jordan. So we shouldn't be doing that. So this is a bad bill. And if Joe Manchin's thinking about trying to tweak it a little bit or change a little bit, that's not good, a good sign. What we do hope is that Joe Manchin stays strong on his commitment not to abandon the filibuster concept. Uh, if he does that, uh, I think we're going to be okay in the long well, run. Well, you know what? I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, the, the the story that I read a few days ago indicated that he doesn't want to get rid of it whatsoever, or, you know, altogether rather, but that rather than, you know, the, the 66 votes, uh, you know, he said maybe we can compromise and say we need 55 uh, or something of that nature rather than, you know, just being one one major, one vote over the majority or a sing- simple majority vote, but maybe we compromise instead of needing 60 or 67 votes on certain uh, yeah. very important bills that we could maybe put it to 55. So he's, he's kind of trying to play both sides of the fence there, too. Yeah, I hope he holds firm. Uh, you know, the, the one thing his constituents know and the American people know is what he said. And, you know, we've talked about this many times. You should probably do what you told the voters you were going to do. That's, that's the attitude I think. I, I, I always say I think we make the job too complicated. What would you tell the people are going to do that? He's been pretty darn clear that he wasn't going to change the filibuster. He's going to keep that in place. And so has Senator Sinema from the state of Arizona. So let's hold both of them, stick to their word, what they told their constituents, People who gave them the privilege to go serve in the United States Congress, let's hope they do what they said they would do. Yeah, here's the quote, just FYI. He reiterated he's committed to the filibuster, which requires most bills to get to 60 votes to pass, but said one of many good suggestions is lowering the requirement to 55, adding that he is open to looking at it. So I'm with you. I hope he sticks to his original uh, uh, statement on that. Uh, and, and now I want to ask you about politics here, and I want to talk about 2024. You went on, uh, was it with uh, was it with Judge Janine that you declared? I think it was mm-hmm. Judge Janine. I try to keep all of your media, uh, media appearances straight, and it's hard to because because you are out there front and center all the time. But I believe you told Judge Janine that um, in 2024, uh, Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee again, and he's going to win back the Oval Office. My question to you is, as much as many of us feel for the president and feel as if he was not treated fairly in the way the way that the November 3rd elections were counted and the way things came out, and as much as we are inspired by him, is it the right move for the Republican Party to go back to President Trump, or would it be time to embrace a Trump um, light? Now, that's not fair to Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is amazing, but somebody who is following the same America First platform that President Trump laid out, but doesn't necessarily have any of the warts that come with President Trump. 
Well, I think we should go with President Trump for sure. Most successful president we've had in our lifetimes, Bob, uh, did what he said he would do more than anyone I've ever seen. So I, I am 100% for him. He's proven he can take he take the intensity of the of the mainstream press and all that the left wants to offer, all that the bureaucracy in the swamp want to throw at him. He can take it, and he can keep fighting for us. So I am 100% for President Trump. If he doesn't run, then I'm 100% for Ron DeSantis. But I think President Trump is the guy that we need. He has proven he can do it. Now, look. That's not to say Ron DeSantis hasn't proven he's, he can do it at an at a, at a amazing level to governors uh, in Florida as well. He's done just an amazing job. So yeah. if it's not President Trump, then I'm for, for Ron DeSantis. I always say there were, there were a group of nine of us who put the Freedom Caucus together uh, six years ago, and Ron was one of the original nine. So um, he's, a, he's a good man who's done a great job in, in Florida. But President Trump, and we should also understand, Bob, it doesn't matter who the Republican nominee is. They're going to do to that individual what they did to President Trump. It happened. You just know how this is. They're going to, to anyone who is successful in, in, in defending the Constitution, standing up for the American people and doing what they said they would do, the left's going to come after. And they're going to make – remember what they did to DeSantis. 60 Minutes lied about him. They lied. Sure. Oh, yeah. There's they no doubt. They, they, will, so they, going they will do, do what the media no does. I, 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 the reason I brought up DeSantis is because I have another story which came out yesterday in the latest straw poll among conservatives. This one was at the Western Conservative Summit in Denver. Uh, Ron DeSantis uh, uh, narrowly edged out President Trump as the choice for 2024. Ted Cruz finished third. So obviously there's a long time between now and then, but I wonder sometimes yeah. if the true power lying behind the throne would would be better in the hands of President Trump in that role with uh, with Ron DeSantis essentially carrying out the playbook in the front. Maybe that's that, that's something we look at over the next couple of years. Congressman Jordan, always a pleasure. Thank you. Great stuff, sir. We appreciate it. You bet. Thank you, Bob. Take care. All right. 10.01. Let's get to the news and come back and talk to former Ohio Secretary of State Ken Blackwell on AM 1420 The Answer.